it's like, could two dudes who met doing musical theater really do a podcast on masculinity? We kind of had to, <laughs> kind of had to pivot. Okay, so okay. let's so, yeah. record the intro now. Just so what is, Milkless, because we, I think we start with the name. Two dads, we love our kids, but then we also need them to know that we're like pretty cool and it's not like a wimpy podcast. So, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, Milkless. Hey, welcome. Hey, hey. Hey, Milkless. Call the audience, Milkless. What's up, Milkless? <laughs> Matt and Max coming at you. What if that's it? <laughs> How's our first take? This kind of between seasons episode of Milkless is a response to just some feedback we've gotten online that folks wish they knew a little bit more about who Max and I are. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're not going to edit this one, so apologies if it's a little sloppy. If the whole conceit feels self-indulgent to you, you may be right. And it won't hurt our feelings if you don't listen to it. We'll be back for season two soon. All right, Matt, season one is in the bag. What even is this episode? Listen, people on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and on some of our reviews have asked, like, who are these guys? The line from Butch Cassidy, <laughs> the Sundance Kid here. Oh, who are those guys? Great who line. are those guys? But yeah, yeah. basically... We're going to do this little bonus episode, and I don't want you to spend time editing it. Matt edits our episodes to make them super polished. We're going to throw this on as a bonus. Please don't edit it. Let it be raw. This is for people who really want to know who the fuck we are. Then you probably don't care if we don't edit this one. Matt, you cool with that? Yeah, that sounds good. It's going to be hard for me to let it go out the door with so much fat because you and I like to repeat ourselves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it'll be fine. It's, you know, it's, uh, we won't hurt our feelings if you turn it off now. Okay. So let's, let's, let's dive right in. So who, who are we? Like, let's, let's, we, you want to do childhood or profession first? You want to do profession first? Let's go like, like the resume and then we'll, so yeah, resume. Uh, uh, yeah. So Max, who are you? Who am I? Long story short, I went to Brown. We met at Brown. Basically Matt and I, uh, met like first week of college. We both tried out for West Side Story. Matt got a better role than me cause he's a slightly better singer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we were both jets in West Side Story. Um, and when you're a jet, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I, uh, I went to school for mechanical engineering and then went in 100% commission sales, then worked for a manufacturer, basically was a big sales guy, then did this software company, um, joined on as a late, late stage co-founder of Fair Harbor. We grew that to be 300 employees, sold it, um, moved to Amsterdam for three years as part of that acquisition was a CEO through that time period, um, had kids through the company. It was pretty wild time to basically be the manager of a large division of that organization while we were having kids. Um, quick sidebar about the kids and what was interesting is it helped me really change the way I was growing the sales team. We had 20 people at the time that we got pregnant. And I remember thinking, there's no way I can take a week off. Uh, yeah. Holy shit. I got to scale this org in a different way. Mm. And we broke up into managers and I started making myself redundant so that I could take a one week or two week vacation. So having kids actually helped push that company forward. Yeah. And then uh, now we moved to Park City, Utah after the acquisition. Um, and at this point, I was able to take some time off from work, focus on this podcast with you. I'm also training to be in the Olympics for a new Olympic sport called Schemo. I'd be 41, but it's basically backcountry skiing or running up a mountain and skiing down in spandex. And it's going to be a new Olympic sport in 2026. And I'm seeing if maybe I can uh, 
you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat, maybe 1% chance I make the U.S. team. Well, and you've worked your way into a position where it's not insane, right? You're like one of the 10 or 15 fastest ski mowers yeah, in the country. Yeah, I, I got 12th in the country at nationals last year. Um, I'm still probably 25% off the number one time. So yeah. I still got a long way to go. But I'm not I'm not a like a joke. It's like a real deal. Yeah. yeah. Um I got an Instagram and TikTok at Dad Bod Goes Pro where I document that. And uh it's fun to it's fun to do, but I'm actually like really, really pumped just to do this podcast with you and do all that as well. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, how about you? you? I mean well, your last yeah, resume, Adams, you, you married your wife who you met in college. Yeah. Y'all got married when you were what, mid twenties? Yeah. 25 and 24. And you have three kids. Three kids. Aged. Three, five and seven. Three, five and seven. Or yeah. he's, he's about to turn six. The five is about Oh to yeah. Turn five six. is six. Whoops. Three, six and seven. Woo. Sorry. Hey, thanks Matt. <laughs> I only knew because of the Fleetwood because you put on Stevie. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, cool. Okay. So let's see. I was I was uh, born and raised in Houston, Texas. Uh, went off to college um, where I met Max Brown. Um, just lived in New York very briefly. Uh, I was a philosophy major in college, but didn't want to you know like be a PhD or anything. Got interested in film. Started out as a video editor in my uh, kind of early twenties. Um, had some internships and then kind of learned to edit. Started editing. Did a couple of feature documentaries. Then when I was in my early 20s, I co-founded Flow Studios with two other partners. Uh, I still co-own Flow Studios now. It's, you know, 15 years later or however many years later. Um, During that time, we, you know, we started off doing short films and stuff. We kind of moved into um, doing series work. So I've directed, you know, some documentary series, a lot of primarily documentary work. And then I started writing films when I was in college. And then in my late twenties, early thirties, a couple of those got bought and produced, which was cool. So that's kind of part of my, I still write, um, uh, films as well. Uh, and then I, yeah, I run this production company. Um, I met my wife when we were both about 25. Uh, I started a bar. I thought she looked way too intimidating to talk to. Um, but we eventually got past it. Uh, we have two kids, uh, age five, almost six and 11 months, uh, and live in Austin, Texas, but like kind of in Austin, Texas, like we're 20 minutes from downtown, but we live on a few acres of land that kind of feel like it's out in the middle of nowhere. Nice. And that's my story. Yeah. Well, talking a little bit more about us and how we kind of came together. So Matt and I, from my perspective, we're like somewhat best buddies freshman year of college, somewhat inseparable for a while. Mm -hmm. Then I joined a fraternity, Matt and I, we we were still friends. We probably saw each other every week, but we're not as, you know, Mm -hmm. like butt buddies for the the first year of college. Then as we graduated college, like every time I ever saw Matt, we were like best buddies, like, like nothing ever happened. But I'd say you have are known among our friends of not being good at keeping in touch as well as am I. Yeah, so, neither of us is excellent at that. I've so gotten we, better as I've gotten older. Yeah, same. But like we so we wouldn't talk for maybe five years and then we'd be like, hey, ah! it would just be like the best <laughs> time again. And then uh like I think Matt, you had an idea for like a podcast about masculinity and what it means to be a man in this modern world when you're still progressive and how did, how does that even fit in? 
And then as we started to spec some of this out, it was like, wait a minute. It's all actually about being a dad. Like we're, dad. all of our ideas were about being yeah. a dad. It was really just like a big excuse to be able to jam with each other. Um, Cause we probably talked over the last, after college, after let's say the last 16 years, probably hung out three times. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, and you were living overseas and there was the, yeah, yeah there was that. Um, and then I, I brought my daughter to just give, this was before my second kid was born just to give my wife a weekend, my daughter and I came to visit you guys in Park City. And that was like mm -hmm. a real like kickstarting back of like, we had so much fun and we both got to be dads around each other. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I guess also like, it's like, could two dudes who met doing musical theater really do a podcast on masculinity? We kind of had to, <laughs> kind of had to pivot there. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, it is, it has been one of those, you know, a friendship that was not marked by like constant contact, but was marked by the ease and, and comfort of the contact anytime it happened. Um, yeah. And just like we both share that thing you were saying about on the, on the final episode of the season of like, you can be weird and like talk about the universe and the beauty of whatever. And I your think feelings. We, yeah. We're both down to clown with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like just talking about deep, deep shit, not afraid to go to weird places. Yeah. Um, and we're both leaning into life. So I think it was it was a good But we're also to, like dumb bros that like sports. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of the, yeah. And I, I always felt like I, because I would do, I remember in high school one time going straight from a dress rehearsal in full stage makeup yeah. to play a lacrosse game. And the defender was like, are you wearing fucking eyeliner? And I was like, I don't belong anywhere. <laughs> um, so, so when I find other people, it's like, oh, yeah, you kind of got all this shit. It's, it's nice. Yeah, well, it's also – I think it comes from a place of confidence where it's like I, I don't give a shit. Like I took junior year off from basketball to be the lead in, in our high school play. Hell yeah. Um, singing. Yeah. And then when I tried out for the senior basketball team, all these – juniors and sophomores were like, fuck this guy. He did a play last year. He didn't even fucking play basketball last year. And I went on to be leading scorer and the captain of the team. But like, that was a strange thing as well. Like, so you didn't play basketball for one whole year yeah. to wear eyeliner and mm -hmm. rouge? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I bet you look nice in rouge. <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th I do think you know we we have like through um through talking about fatherhood, you inevitably talk about like what masculinity means to you some, and I definitely feel like these things have nothing to do with each other. It's like these things that we all lump under the umbrella of masculinity. It's like no, you can you can want all of this for yourself yeah. and be all these things. Yeah, yeah. So um, getting into like who we are, should we hit our childhood really quick? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, so, but let me big up you a little bit first. Yeah. I mean, maybe you got the impression, but like this company that Max helped get off the ground and then was CEO of is like a pretty big fucking deal. Like yeah, that's a cool thing that you did. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's probably 600, 700 people at this point. Crazy. Um, it was a massive, massive operation and it yeah. was a, it was a good exit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. You, you nailed it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, and oh, speaking of going back to you, just one more quick uh, HJ. What about uh, your movie Alive? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I wrote a movie that was uh, that was successful, um, in, in very successful in South Korea, where it was produced, and then was successful. Um, they sold it to Netflix, and people watched it. It was wild. Wasn't it the number one movie worldwide on Netflix for like a day or two? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was weird. It was during COVID. There was like I didn't go to the premiere or anything. I just watched it on my couch on Netflix with my wife. But yeah, yeah. It, no, it people well. who have people who've been like, I love your co-host, Matt. Who is that guy? And I like mention, you know, your your stats, and I'm like, I don't know, have you ever seen this movie alive? And like 30% of people are like, Yes. He <laughs> fucking wild. wrote that movie. Like, are you kidding me? That's wild. And I remember you told me that me my wife and my you told my wife and me that movie in the car, I think on the way back from like Jeremy's wedding or something like that. We were driving back up to Boston and you were like, I got this idea for a movie. You had the entire story in your head. Oh, that's funny. And you told yeah. us the whole story. And then like six or seven years later, we hear that like it's in it's on Netflix. The <laughs> it's the it was the exact story. The only difference yeah. was I think you said like you were thinking Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh yeah. For, he got too old. It took him too long to make it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, so let's dive into like our childhoods really quick just so people know context of where we came from. Yeah. Family of origin. What's the line care. from Ted Lasso? Lasso? It's like, I love meeting people's parents. It's like getting a guidebook to why they're fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. families of origin. So my parents uh, met in Venezuela and I was conceived in Spain and then they had me in Virginia. My mom is uh, like mixed bag white. Like whatever, like everything, um, British, French, German, stuff like that. My dad's from Peru. He's half Chinese, half Spanish. Um, actually found out from 23andMe a little bit, uh, uh, he's actually a quarter Incan, but anyway, uh, yeah, they got, they got divorced when I was six. Uh, and, um, then my mom moved, they both moved out actually. And then I live with my mom and she, my mom is like super supportive, like super loving, like very like building my confidence forever, um, that sort of sort of thing. So that's who my mom is. Um, my biological dad is like awesome, like really solid, loving dad as well. Um, I remember when my parents got divorced, like like crying with my mom one night, like about like worrying about my dad because I, I was six. Like, you know, would he be lonely? And I remember that was, but, you know, I think she handled it super well, was like, you know, we still love you and all that sort of stuff. And it's nothing about you. So it was like a great divorce actually. And they like, like my, my real dad would like come over our house because my mom remarried my stepdad who I kind of like grew up with. Like my stepdad, like was my father growing up, taught me about sports and, you know, he's he's awesome. He's awesome. Great influence. Like he's, he's the fucking man. So like, but my biological dad and stepmom would come over and like stay at our house for a long weekend. It was like yeah. a chill thing. So that was super solid. Um, but yeah, growing up, I had a, a brother and then a sister 10 years younger. Um, brothers, my, how many years younger? Three brothers, three years younger. Sister, 10 years younger. And then I have with my dad and stepmom, 20 year younger uh, sisters as well. So yeah, it was like a, a solid sort of thing. Um, every, everybody was chill with that divorce, and we grew up pretty solid. Um, my mom was uh, like an entrepreneur. My dad is a, or my stepdad was a, a reporter, and he joined my mom's practice. And it was just like, uh, yeah, really like we did a lot of sports growing up. 
um, you know, played three sports, was really encouraged to kind of do whatever I want, pull on any sort of string, whether that's theater, entrepreneurship, starting little lemonade stands, whatever. And just like, yeah, it was like a really loving, good sort of home. Um, well, it shows in your, in yeah. your general positivity that yeah. you, yeah, that you grew up in a place where you felt loved and didn't yeah. wonder about that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. So your oldest kid, I'm young. I, well, I'm youngest of two. Yeah. Um, so we got to, we're, we're looking at it from a different uh, perspective that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've definitely got some of the type A achiever stuff, but I don't think you have as much of the like punishing anxiety of like, if I don't perform, I'm not worth anything. That yeah. Is maybe the- no, but I used to have this thing with my siblings where I always had to like, I almost took on a bit of a paternal role. My parents were, I'd say some, uh, you know, authoritative and put some boundaries there, but it was, Border, bordering towards permissive. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of stepped into that role, especially in my 20s for the family to kind of like be the voice of reason. And I'm uh-huh. the adult here, you know, and 20 year olds uh-huh. know fucking everything. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, I had a hard time like trying to correct my siblings, correct my parents, show everyone the way it should be, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I've since learned to like, you know, let people be who they are and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, you, you, yeah, your thirties is realizing a lot about like, oh, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did ten years ago. I know more, but I know less. But I know I know less. Especially about tactics. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like the the truths maybe were true, but then how I would approach like needing to change people. Mm-hmm. If you only do this, your yeah. life would be so much better. It's like not everyone's you. Yeah, yeah. Learn yeah, that on business yeah. too. Yeah. Like not everyone's like you. And I feel like most of the time, the way we would advise people is if we're advising ourselves. Yeah. Right. Learning that everyone's different is super important. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. All Um, right. How about, how about your childhood? I kind of rushed mine. I'll dive in more. Uh, yeah, no, I do. Well, what do you, what do you feel like you rushed? Do you feel just like like, just the dynamic of the siblinghood? Yeah. Just like it was interesting being, the oldest. And then I had a much younger sister where she was 10 years younger. Um, leaving for college was hard. I felt like I kind of like abandoned the family because I would always oh, sit at the dinner table. Like I was like very present in the family. Like uh-huh. I would never, I would like talk with my parents and the adults like for an hour after dinner. Yeah. So I think they lost a friend uh-huh. when I went to college. Uh-huh. And I was also maybe a third parental figure to my 10 year younger sister. I was uh-huh. 18. She was eight. I was like a really good older brother. And I remember like leaving. And even for my little brother, who was three years younger. I was like kind of a rock in that family. Mm-hmm. I remember leaving was really hard. Yeah. For them yeah. and for me. But like I had new shit. So like, yeah, I yeah, didn't skip yeah. a beat. I was yeah. doing West Side Story with you. Yeah, baby. I, I do remember when my brother, who's three years older, when he left for college, um, feeling like a death. Like this is kind of the death of this nuclear family. Like it will never yeah. be this again. Right. Um, yeah. The, and, and feeling like nobody told me that that felt so intense. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. That That is a unique dynamic when you have much younger siblings, there is this thing, you get a little parenting practice at an early yeah. age. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, family four. I was three years uh, younger than my brother. Um, my parents were both lawyers who 
advised both my brother and I to not be lawyers. <laughs> they both did not feel passionate about their work. Um, and I think ultimately felt like they were kind of, you know, needed earning a paycheck for us. Um, but uh, let's see. My, yeah. So my brother ended up a choral music conductor and professor and I ended up a filmmaker. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, my dad was a super, presence dad. I mean, he did work a full-time job and he'd put on a suit and go to the office every day. My mom worked part-time as a lawyer. She'd pick us up from school. Um, but, uh, my dad would like coach all our sports teams. Sports were big in our family, um, for better and worse. I mean, we probably are all a little over competitive, but we all know how to, we can all catch the keys if you throw them to us. Mm -hmm. And we still, there is still an ongoing text chain between my dad, my brother, and one of my best childhood friends and I, where we just talk about baseball. And it's just always, it's always mm-hmm. on. Um, my mom uh, is kind of scary smart. She's just so, so, so bright. Um, mm-hmm. And she, I think, like really always fostered like my creativity and the parts of me that are a big kid and always will love magic and things that feel magical. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, would help, you know, help me write stories and stuff like that, make up stories. So she really fostered that and then she's a great always has been a great conversationalist she just wants to sit and have long conversations and like Mm -hmm. um i think i learned that from her i'm close to my parents in different ways you know my dad uh and i are building a fort for my daughters and like that's how we're close it's like Mm -hmm. measuring and talking about construction and we're working on the skill saw and then we're both out there taking a drink break together Mm -hmm. and more as my mom and i are close by like we sit and have a long conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I are pretty different, uh, but have always been close. Um, he's uh, more of an introvert than I am. Um, he definitely had like, I think some of the first, you know, the first kid, like achiever type a, mm-hmm. he was, he would make like an A in every class and I would make an A in the classes I liked and just fuck off in the classes I didn't, you know, he yeah. like had, the, yeah. Um, you know, and then there were some, there were some things in my family that, you know, generally there was a tremendous amount of stability I had growing up. We lived in the same, my parents bought a house in 1979 and they lived in it until about two years ago. So I had spent mm-hmm. my whole life growing up in that house. Um, they stayed married. I do think my parents' marriage and, and our family's cohesiveness got better and better as I got older. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their roughest times were when I was really young. Um, and then when my brother left for college, it was so hard cause we were in an awesome place. We did a lot of work on that. You know, we, we went to therapists individually and as, as a family and we worked really hard, but we kind of got there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, it, let's see, what was I talking about? Oh, we're not going to edit this one. I got to get my shit together. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so close with my brother, even though we are quite different in a lot of ways, um, we, we have kind of always remained close. Mm-hmm. Um, did, oh yeah. So despite this, uh, relative stability, there were a couple of things. My, my brother has type one diabetes and was diagnosed with that when he was 10 or 11, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe even like 12 or 13. But anyways, like for anybody that, uh, that that is a big thing for a family and is very scary for parents and is like a real hell of a thing for a kid to manage when they're young because you, you have a lot of responsibility forced on you. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not quite what what do they call uh, 
they call kids like see-through oh, like kids or the like secondary kid or something glass like that. Yeah. kids that like yeah. just become invisible it wasn't that because like my brother was still playing sports and he was but it was this ever-present thing in our family that like mm-hmm. you know we got to think about meal times in a different way and all that um and then i think the other thing that was pretty formative is like without going into a ton of detail when i was seven this guy broke into our house when my dad and my brother and i were there and like tied us all up and held us up with knives and was there for a long time stealing stuff. And we like, I kind of like thought we might die. And like, so that was, I grew up with some, some fears. Yeah. I I remember that. I I remember that story. Well, like that's gotta be so hard, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was a thing. It's weird because I like I'll we'll go back and forth between talking myself out of it. It's like, yeah, but in general I had a great childhood. It was like one it was just a thing that happened one time. But then mm-hmm. like whenever I talk about it, I'm like, ah, oh, that was yeah, it's still kinda <laughs> it's kinda fucks in my head a little bit. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's I don't know. I mean but and strangely, most of them the films that I've written that have been successful have been scary movies. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, I've I've thought about this, um, you know, as we've been doing certain episodes and stuff, like about children's resiliency. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, sometimes I, you know, I I think about what you might say back where, you know, you said the thing about like, how could you write like the best movies if you have a kid? Like, you, you just can't. Mm-hmm. Or like, how could you be the best version of yourself if that event happened to you when you were seven? But it's weird. It's like everything is part of who we are. And like to take a sample size of one that does not have a control, you are one of, if not the, the coolest people I know. So it's like if that happened to you and you're <laughs> fucking so awesome, it's like eh, if yeah. my kid like gets bit by a snake or knock on wood, gets his arm chopped off, it's like eh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sample size of one, you turned out fucking awesome. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, because my family really pulled together after that and like, you know, um, yeah, it's like you can you can get through a lot if you feel supported when when you're a kid. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that I, the personality types in my family, I don't think are just a natural recipe for sweet harmony. I think we mm-hmm. worked at that shit. And I think that's like, that was the other thing that prepared me for life and having a family of my own. It's like, oh no, it's not just going to fall into place necessarily. And people are going to bump into each other, but you need to develop the tools to navigate that because you want to be together, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you mean? Like with, uh, with, you got to work at like personality and roles and stuff. Uh, my brother and I are really, really different. My mom and dad are really different different in a lot of ways. I think neither of them were the product of marriages that were as good as their marriages. So I think they had to like invent some of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, throwing in a, a, a chronic illness at a time when a kid's supposed to really be mm-hmm. individuating from their parents is like, that's a hell of a thing. I was a scared kid at times. I think my brother was angry, you know, like my my dad's dad probably didn't tell him he loved him all day. You know, like yeah. there's stuff that it was just like, we weren't just coming into it all, you know, tickled pink all the time. Uh, yeah. or all necessarily 
easily understanding each other because there, mm-hmm. there were ways in which we were so different. But I do, I feel very close to every member of my family as the product of the effort to do that, you know? Yeah. To, to, yeah. yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've met your family. They're fucking money. They're good people. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I was very fortunate in my parents. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess like, not that we're having a lesson here, but like, I think the thing that just keeps coming up is like, it's not, I feel like sometimes we shoot for perfection and we shoot for like, my kid can't fall and slam his face on the ground or we can't have these things happen. And so many things feel like some per, some level of permanence that, you know, it's not going to work out. Like, oh, if your child gets a chronic illness, oh no, our life is forever, whatever. It's like, dude, we roll. Yeah, People roll with it, you know? And if you have that foundation of like love, support, nurture, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Shit works out. Yeah. And nobody's going to get out unscathed. I got, everybody's going to have shit that they're going to deal with their whole life. But it's like, have you been equipped with the tools and the belief in yourself and in the people around you to, to do that? But that's the hardest thing as a parent, you know, in the first person is like, letting your kids experience that failure or going through hardship and not being so worried about it. Because as long as you give them those, those tools, give them that love and confidence, that's the, the, you know, that's the best the set of tools you can give them. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great, man. Um, well, and it just shows that like, it doesn't, there's not only one way for it to work great. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I was, I was listening to this interview with this great, uh, with, uh, the, I think the current poet laureate, she was talking about that. She wrote these two poems. She was a child of a, of a family that where the parents divorced. And she wrote these two poems like 20 years apart about that. And mm-hmm. in the first one, she talked about like coming from this broken home and that it meant this split thing. And she wrote one 20 years later that she was like, she was like, I think about how loaded that term is broken home and that there's another way to look at it, that I had two families. I had two extended families. I had, because her parents handled it well, the way, the Mm -hmm. way that yours did. And that like, that doesn't have to, that doesn't have to be terrible. You know, that can be like, you had two like families and then one of them would come stay. I remember, I still remember at your wedding, you're the four people who had been parental figures in your life, all hugging yeah. each other with such genuine joy. And I was like, that's why Max is doing so good. <laughs> and yeah, picked a neat wife. Like, and like, like, yeah. My biological dad will call my stepdad for advice. That's so cool. Like, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, let, let's just kind of button it up here with just kind of saying, like, what are our credentials here? And why are we qualified to do this? Well, the short answer is we're not qualified at all. <laughs> Um, we but, try, we try, we, we really try hard. That's our <laughs> that's main the thing. thing. That's the thing. And Googling this, I'm like, what the fuck do we know? And I remember Googling like who can be a podcast host and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, obviously you can be a, any idiot can be a podcast host. But the reason I think that this works is we're both like relatively smart. We both like really, really fucking care about being a good dad. And we also are not too proud to admit when we're wrong. And I think those three things are a good recipe for us to be the hosts that do not provide all the answers, but ruminate on these topics that we choose every week and help be the the, the guide, the MC. Yeah, we're just takes us through this journey. We're in it. We're trying. We're trying. 
Very hard. Um, and yeah, we're in the middle of it. And I do, I just have this, like, I think that the way that we parent now just isolates people. We just don't do enough of it around each other and, and do it together and see the ways that it's hard and talk about the ways that it's hard together. And so, yeah, it's felt good to do that very much firsthand with you. Um, and yeah. And then hopefully, you know, if, if folks are listening to it, it makes, I think like the best thing we could do is make people feel not crazy or not so alone or like, right. And I think that's, I think that's what we're kind of trying. We we've tapped into in this first season is I respect you in a huge way as an adult, as a human, as a business person, as a dad. And I think you feel the same way. And like the fact that you can admit when you fuck it up and I can admit when I fuck it up, it feels normal. And if you think about it, you were saying like humans, the modern humans, a hundred thousand years ago, the same meat, same (laughs) Same brain popsicle. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and we used to parent with like a village. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, you know, going back and forth, like watching how other people parent one another. Mm -hmm. And right now it's like, what do we have? Social media. It's a lot of astroturfing. A lot of people showing, you know, their highlight reel and you're comparing it against your blooper reel. Yeah. And it's like, that's why before every episode, Matt and I chat about like, what are we going to try to focus on? Being real, like admitting your foibles because it's so in human nature. <gasps> Ooh, a lot of people are watching and we'll be yeah. like, you, yeah. you want to be like, well, here's how great I am. But I think what <laughs> yeah. we're really trying to do here is show when we fuck it up. And how it's so normal to fuck it up. But what we're trying to do is just be better. And yeah. I think that fuck it up the less. way we're qualified, yeah, we're just the ones who are on the mics. But we're all in this together, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then my other main qualification is that my wife is a therapist. So anytime I actually sound smart, it's probably just by osmosis, you know? Yeah, <laughs> this, that's And I did a lot of therapy. Yeah. And I know how to use Google Scholar, so... <laughs> So there you go. I just search studies and pour over them prior to every episode. Yeah, there you go. Um, So our qualification is that we're deeply unqualified, but we have the blind confidence to do it anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Like basically, this is going to embarrass my wife until we reach that million download mark. And then we will actually have the credentials of having a successful podcast. So. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah, I think at that point I'll really feel the imposter syndrome. Be like a million people. What are they listening to us? For? Well, we already have uh, tens of thousands of people who've or you know, on the on the socials. The socials. Millions, yeah, it's crazy to me. Have seen so. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. But thanks, thanks for tuning in. Um, all right, money. That's who we are. Me and Max, old buddies. Cool. Sweet. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Stay. Stay. <laughs> <laughs> we still no, got let's it. Not, let's, let's not. Let's not do that. Yeah. Let's not. All right.